The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Happy Sunday night, everyone. Welcome back to the public version of Dunked On. If you want to hear more of us than once a week, of course, you can subscribe via Dunked On Prime dunkdon.supportingcast.fm it's in the show notes here for you and highly recommend you check that out we're going to be starting very soon i will tweet about it a special sale yearly membership uh in honor of the draft and the mock-off season coming up uh, of course so stay tuned for that offer we should have that out in the next week or two but let's uh get started here with some news that has piled up and I guess we can just talk first about what the latest is on next season. Looks like the plan is still to get a 82-game season beginning in January or February per Shams Charania. Of course, the draft is on November 18th. Seems like free agency is going to be no later than December 1st. That's something that's come out in previous interviews with Michelle Roberts. And Shams Charania is saying that the cap is not expected to deviate too much from $115 million. Recall that that was the amount it was supposed to be before the pandemic. Others have said they think it's going to be around in the 109 range. So, And it seems like it would behoove everyone to have it not change too much. Well, and Another, on, to- on, yeah, sorry, go, on top ahead, of that, sorry. there are so few teams with cap space that it doesn't have as big a practical effect as it would in another year. You know, it, it does change plans and it changes distance to the luxury tax and a lot of those, but it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think it like costs owners as much money as it would in another year to, to push it from 109 to 115. Yeah, there aren't these premium free agents where it's like, oh man, we were just going to scrape under getting this guy a max salary. I agree. I think the more pertinent development is going to be what the tax is that's yes. i'm really actually writing a, a lot piece about that teams. for the athletic right now yeah so i i mean what, what do you uh you want to just uh, elaborate on that then sure um i i'm arguing so i'm arguing that there should be a, a one-time larger gap between the cap and the tax for next year if the cap is going to be lower we don't know exactly where it's going to be basically on the idea that it will lead to a more competitive product because there are all these teams that are that if they lower the tax beyond what was originally projected that are just going to have less money to spend and that's going to lead to a worse league also leads to the the pressure on the tax teams i'm not sure that i would necessarily like if they hold around 115 so then the commensurate luxury tax from that i might not fight for that as hard but if it was at 109 i think that lowering it i think the projection that i was using was it, it would it could potentially knock the tax down six million i think if they the one way to solve this problem is keep the put the cap at 109 if they want but then keep the tax at the higher level if it were a 115 million cap then then you you kind of get the best of both worlds yeah, I think now if I were a team that had cap space, I'd be saying, well, why not just have the cap be 115? You're 
giving all these teams that didn't manage their finances well more of an advantage whereas now but we can't use our cap space so like you why are you giving them a break and us teams who actually prepared well for this offseason we're gonna get screwed and nobody else is like that doesn't really make a lot of sense to, to me so that would be the argument certainly that i would be making if i'm a team like say phoenix or atlanta or new york or, or something like that um but that tax number is going to be huge right i mean we with so many teams we've talked about are like ah you know can they really use the full mid-level exception they're going to be pretty close to the tax uh with that and yes you can go a little more than six million into the tax and still use the full mid-level if you want to but a lot of teams are gonna be loath to do that with the current cash situation another topic that's been making the rounds with some of the usual cba reporters is the idea of escrow we've talked about that basically where the players and owners are supposed to get a 50 50 distribution of salary and so normally you can project revenues pretty well at the start of the year and project salaries pretty well at the start of the year and a 10 percent escrow is enough to make sure that the players don't get too much or or then the owners will have to just write the players a check at the end of the year if the owners get too much here though there's a talk of how much the escrow is going to be and this is something that was part of the negotiations in football as well but the players i think uh, and perhaps a bit of an irony considering that they did not want to smooth it when the cap was going up they're going to want to i think smooth out the amount of the escrow and say hey owners you guys have more resources your team values are still going to go up anyway you all can absorb paying out more cash than revenue is coming in over one year right so let's say just as a, a hypothetical right let's say revenue is down 30 percent next year from what it's supposed to be and owners would say well okay so uh if revenue is down 30 percent players we should have enough escrow that your salaries take a haircut of 30 percent as well and you know match up the revenue with the expenses and that way owners aren't like paying out of pocket more than they're getting in on a year-to-year basis they, and some teams can just just have the money sitting around some teams are you know kind of dependent year to year on paying player salaries with the revenue that's coming in on a yearly basis and of course all these teams could just tap into more credit related to their team or do a cash call from investors or something that's just you know nobody wants to do that if you're an owner you you want your business to just be self-sufficient on a year-to-year basis from a cash standpoint the players would say no this is too much of a hit for individual players careers are really short we're gonna screw over guys who you know let's say you're a rookie or something like that you get drafted in 2020 and then you're out of the year league after three years you're screwed over that one of your three years you just got 30 percent less salary due to a pandemic it was just bad luck it has nothing to do with you as a player so you would imagine and it seems like some of the reporting has indicated this that what the players are going to ask for is okay if there's 30 percent less revenue in this year let's spread that out over the next three years uh, or the next four years and so we don't have just like one big hit to the players in this year uh and so it's almost like they're just getting a loan from the owners essentially so that'll be an interesting point of contention I would imagine as we go through this. Yeah, and it'll it'll I mean there are a lot of challenges and negotiations that are that are going to be worth watching and on the kind of the league-wide front another piece of news that has come out since the last time we did news is a little bit more clarity on the draft procedures. It's 
so so basically there's a um there's a window from october 16th to november 16th remember the draft is tentatively but probably going to be november 18th uh teams can schedule visits with draft eligible players for in-person evaluations interviews or medical evaluations and players can also do um they can do on-court workouts that multiple teams can evaluate simultaneously provided that of course that the the uh safety protocols and all that are observed yeah so this will be a chance to have some in-person visits um I mean, you've had things like LaMelo Ball saying, I've only talked to via Zoom the Warriors and the Knicks, and that was four months ago. So this will enable teams to work up these players a little bit more. Some teams, though, particularly due to, say, restrictions in their home states, or if they leave and they come back, they have to quarantine for 14 days, and maybe that'd mean they couldn't be in the facility for the actual draft itself it does seem like teams are going to take advantage of this to varying degrees and of course the prospects will take advantage of it to varying degrees as well depending on whether it's a team that they want to work out for or not uh and and that'll be a a source of the usual carping you'd imagine but i don't see how that's any different than it would normally be um and there'd been like ways that prospects were trying to get around the ban on workouts or like even film of workouts where they would just like upload it to a third party site and then hey you know anyone who wants to can just get this you know that kind of thing um so it seemed like it was getting a little bit ridiculous i mean i i don't need to spend that much time on what the protocols are in terms of actually making sure that people don't get coronavirus in this process like that's everyone knows what needs to be done there at this point in time but i don't think that all of this matters that much in the end i mean it's just good to know what the procedures are going to be but i mean we could even have some teams that are like you know what like we don't this is so useless and so much of a pain with all the coronavirus restrictions it's not even worth trying to go and do it so i i think and this goes back to as well the concerns that many have about the utility of interviews and workouts anyway uh i I mean i think what one thing i would be very interested to see though is this might give you a pretty decent idea more than usual of like which players are really self-starters because normally you would go through your season then there's just an established way of doing it you start your training you have some trainer and you know all you got to do is get in shape over like a two or three month period now these prospects have probably had a lot more time to themselves where you really do kind of get an idea of who's who is more driven as opposed to just all right i I can spend two months here doing what i'm supposed to be doing outside of that the the two biggest pieces of news since the last time we did it on dunked on are actually things that you and i have both discussed in depth in other places so i don't think we'll spend as much time on daryl morey stepping down and ty lu getting the clippers job but we should absolutely talk about both and let's let's start with morey um it's interesting like so there was there there not necessarily conflicting but there's the report from Woj and then the report from Sam Amick and Kelly Eco about basically Daryl Morey's role within the coaching search and Eco and Amick described it as a diminished role but what is interesting is that it seems like he's still going to stay in that diminished role even after stepping down from being the general manager yeah and the latest here are uh that John Lucas who was a in a player development role I mean when was God, it's been so long, I can't even remember the last team that John Lucas coached, but uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the last 10 years, uh, and he didn't have the greatest record even back then, but apparently Raphael Stone, the new head basketball decision maker, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, like John Lucas, he probably also will come at it a less expense to Tillman Fertitta's wallet. The fact that they have met with Jeff Van Gundy over multiple days in Houston and have not pulled the trigger on him, I think that's... uh, 
that's interesting and he's probably got some pretty outsized salary demands as well as for Mori himself there still are some more let's call it smoke with regard to the chinese communist party hong kong situation the reports were after he dis- publicly said that he was stepping down that he actually had informed Tillman Fertitta of that shortly after departing the bubble as they lost to the Lakers uh, that he would be leaving and recall of course that CCTV the state-owned television network decided to air game five of the NBA finals and, and game six many have pointed to the fact that it was a, a year after Maury's initial comments but if they also were aware which they easily could have been that Maury would be stepping down that could be a, a reason why they decided to go back in that direction as well and certainly that would fit more that timeline would fit more with the idea that they were aware of that if you know because before it was like okay Maury step, stepped down a couple weeks after they made that decision the optics there are you know okay it was unrelated but now if that decision had in fact been made before perhaps that was somehow uh communicated to them again i have no way of knowing that but uh, that would be somewhat similar to the way they have operated in these situations in the past and then of course uh a cctv anchor uh, had some pretty lewd comments about uh rest in peace essentially is the the best translation of it that i saw uh daryl morey and congratulate congratulations Raphael stone for being the new gm of the rockets uh and that anyone who hurts china's feelings like see this is what happens to them um now there's also reporting from tim mcmahon uh on zach lowe's podcast saying that joe Mori is still getting paid at least somewhat and he was uh, was known to have a contract pretty much at the top of the gm market and to have signed an extension in 2019 he had the ability to renegotiate his contract if there was an ownership change which of course there was and so that's how he was able to get that new contract from Fertitta so who knows what those negotiations were with Mori and Fertitta supposedly they leave on great terms Daryl Mori is uh, an excellent liar <laughs> about <laughs> stuff uh, also noteworthy that Mori shut down an interview at the New York Times when they got asked about uh, the whole china thing and what that had to do with him leaving uh other than to say that their relationship was unaffected by it but you know obviously that's not worth the paper it's printed on if they're going to say that so ultimately i guess we'll see what starts happening in houston here you would imagine that there's going to be a decline in the quality of their management with stone only having had one year of experience on the basketball side it sounds like patrick fertitta the 25 year old i think son of tillman fertitta is going to have a, a pretty big role here as well hiring lucas i would consider him other than the fact that the players like him I and mean, you never know someone could really evolve as a coach we've seen coaches do that but certainly based on his previous record there's little to indicate that you know he should be competitive in a coaching search for a a team that still would fancy itself a contender anything else on this uh, or uh should we move on we can move on briefly on the Tai Lu hiring um reporting from Jovan Buha and Joe and Joe Varden of the Athletic that not surprisingly Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were consulted on the hire they were on board Lu plans to have better ball movement play faster and experiment more on the defensive end stagger Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and they're hoping for better synergy between the coaching staff and the front office we'll see if that happens and also interestingly if 
Chauncey Billups does not get the Indiana job where he might be a finalist, Billups will join Lou's staff as as, a, as the lead assistant. Yeah, Jay Michael uh, reporting that the Pacers are down to three coaching finalists. Mike D'Antoni believes that he will be one of those three as D'Antoni uh, got aced out of the Philly job where he was thought to be a favorite by the unexpected availability of Doc Rivers. And so we don't know who this third candidate is going to be in indiana let's turn to philly here danny and they have filled out their staff there's talk from elton brand at the end of the season that they wanted to bring in more basketball people interestingly the man who they brought in in theory to be their number two pierre dinwiddie did not start on the basketball side in fact he he was on the business side uh, cut his teeth uh, on cba stuff looks like he'll be kind of moving into that sort of a role as well he comes over from kevin pritchard's staff in indiana he was with larry bird before that you know inspiring story to have joined on the business side and uh, moved up into a prominent role so he the reporting is that he's going to be the the number two alex rucker who was a colangelo guy was with him in toronto then was brought in in philly with colangelo stayed on he was part of the collaborative front office was known to to be as best Derek bonner could say it the number two guy although the power structure in that philly front office uh, was a little nebulous uh, with the departure of colangelo so rucker is being reassigned and essentially demoted uh, Sergey Oliva, who was the team's vice president of strategy, and Phil Jabor, the director of scouting, have left as well. Oliva is joining the coaching staff of the Utah Jazz, so he'll take on sort of the role pioneered by Roland Beach, and Dean Oliver has that in Washington of the analytics liaison with the coaching staff. And Jabor will be joining the Kings as their vice president of player personnel, kind of just a, a lead scouting role in. In Sacramento and to finish up uh, in Philly and to finish up with the connections between the Kings and the Sixers Dave Yeager will be joining Doc Rivers as an assistant coach as well yeah and Yeager had been one of the mentioned names in Indiana so obviously that meant he wasn't going to be a f- or wasn't going to be a finalist there because we assume Yeager would have preferred that job and so presumably he will hope to take being a being a top assistant for the 76ers and parlay that into being a head a head coach later on which presumably Yeager still wants further machinations in Sacramento where Wes Kil- Wilcox excuse me Wes Wilcox for Dunkton Guests uh, will join the Kings as assistant general manager I mentioned that Jabor uh, would be joining up there as well you know Wilcox started as previous the GM of the Hawks and was reported to be a finalist for the GM job that's always kind of interesting when that happens as far as I know Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox did not necessarily have a pre-existing relationship so perhaps part of the reason that Wilcox is there is because he impressed the Kings group they also are known to have somewhat of a fractious ownership group so perhaps there was a segment that was more impressed with Wilcox and they're being mollified by bringing in Wilcox and that's not to say that this can't work uh, but it just kind of has the hallmarks of that a little bit. We'll never know for sure, obviously. But the idea that, oh, yeah, it just so happened. Monty McNair, the number one guy he wanted for his assistant GM, was the guy competing with him in the interview process. It seems a bit too much coincidence, necessarily. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that it can't work there. But that's it. we've kind of seen these sort of things in Sacramento before. Uh, what else we got here? Well, we can go back to Shamstranya's, I believe that was in his inside pass piece, 
um, that Jeremy Grant and Denver have significant mutual interest on a new contract and that he will decline his player option, which you and I both expected. This, you know, while it's going to be hard for some players to cash in, Jeremy Grant, after his successful playoff run, definitely seems like somebody who could, who as a forward-sized guy who can defend and a lower usage offense player, but he showed more showed more game offensively in, the, in Denver's run. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where the numbers end up there, but expect him to return. And that was always felt like Likely because Denver gave up a first round pick to get Grant and having full bird rights is a big advantage that they received in that. Denver's not going to have cap space to work with. But considering the role that he had for a lot of the regular season, you know, more as a coming off the bench than playing a ton with Jokic. Still, so you kind of ended up in the place that I thought they were going to be, though the way they got there was different. Yeah, and Grant, I think ultimately the chances of him opting out and doing worse than what he had just you know one year what was it 9.3 million for next yeah. year uh that seems unlikely i mean at a minimum he's gonna get you can get the mid-level for one year right i mean that's that's uh and i would imagine that denver would want to lock him up for longer so no no real reason and, and given the nature of denver's run hard to see yes the market isn't as good but hard to see his stock being higher a year from now than it is and he's got less competition on the market some other interesting stuff here from Shams. He noted that the Milwaukee Bucks are expected to be a strong suitor for Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, and they're looking for more playmaking and shooting around Giannis and Chris Middleton. Of course, Bogdanovich is restricted. And Maybe the Bucks don't have after. cap space. Yeah. So, but that would be, uh, and they would have to acquire him via a sign in trade. And that would, of course, hard cap them at the apron, six million above the luxury tax. So, again, despite the supposed assurance to Giannis that they're going to, they'd be willing to go into the luxury tax. They're not going to go like it really into the luxury tax. They'll go like a couple million in. But but even at, then, at most. the matching salary and beyond. I mean, this is a different front office, so maybe the the new group doesn't McNair and Wilcox does not prize. You're, you're talking about it in Sacramento. In Sacramento, yeah, because yeah, the sign and trade requires the approval of three three entities. You have the two teams involved, and of course the player. And the Bucks know that all too well with the Malcolm Brogdon sign and trade that happened last year. So you have to kind of think about well, why would each team do the Bucks? would be hard capped and they would have to send out matching salary the kings would ba- basically be you know they'd have to get some sort of incentive to do it and so i i'm skeptical that this is going to happen but it's also i'm guessing it's good for the bucks to have their name out there for players like this and so it's like see we're trying and so it might even be more hollow than the we're trying and we're going to get hard capped to the apron it might be hey look we're going after this player that we can't actually really get and it could also be as well coming from Bogdanovich's agent. Absolutely. Where he's trying to chin up a market for himself. But yeah, I mean, to me, if I'm the Kings, it would take more than simply, you know, a future Bucks first rounder to get me to approve there. And uh, if I'm the Bucks, you know, Evan Fournier is basically the same age and kind of the same player. <laughs> so I might actually be more interested in trying to do a sign and trade for him where you at least he's not restricted. So you got a better chance of getting him for a, a cheaper price well and orlando's more orlando is more limited in terms of their spending power that would also create a trade exception for the magic which maybe they'd be interested in they could go in a different direction there if they wanted to so yeah they could yeah. they could make calls both ways yeah but bogdanovich is a good player oh and, yeah i mean the, and he'd be a great fit makes, on the bucks too sure no absolutely i mean i really would like him there but i just don't see any reason for the kings to give up on him unless the, the offer is uh outstanding so that one is really interesting 
Minnesota is supposed to be looking at trades in the middle lottery, potentially, according to, I think that came from the, the ESPN side. And they noted something which I probably hadn't considered enough, which is like, the Wolves might get sold right now. Remember, we haven't heard anything on that. Supposedly, it was going to be, oh God, what's the dude's name? It's Daniel something, who's who's supposed to be buying them. Strauss? Thank you. Yes, Daniel Strauss. I was. I wanted to call him. It was. I wanted to call him Daniel Capman. Is that the other name of the guy? Kaplan. Capman. Kaplan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's something about turning forty. Uh, with you being younger than me you may have to just like take over on remembering all names now that i've uh, become senile in any event daniel strauss the exclusive negotiating window expired there was talk that aaron follows group could become involved but of course nothing really has happened there so it seems like it's just kind of a standoff between glenn taylor i theorize and strauss i theorize that uh glenn taylor was trying to put all these stipulations on like leaving certain people in place and all this stuff so that's what's kind of holding things up and we'll see whether that gets resolved or not but yeah if i'm buying that team i probably would want to have some say over who you're going to draft as the number one pick uh and uh but there's talk that they could be looking at trades moving down to the mid lottery as well i think they my opinion would be just go ahead and draft lamella ball personally but uh it, maybe they don't want to do that maybe they're trying to get the best offer who knows there uh what else we got here uh do you want to go to the red and black wedding in chicago <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad uh but billy donovan did move on from some of the assistants who were there under jim Boylan. and he's gonna bring in uh, some of his own assistants and those this is slightly noteworthy that they those guys were under contract and they're being fired and the, and the organization is willing to eat it but on the other hand pretty much anytime you bring in a new coach particularly one that you're paying as much as you're paying donovan i mean it's only this is only noteworthy that the bulls are willing to spend because it's the bulls this is like what any other organization would just do and it wouldn't have any fanfare behind it uh the other thing we could talk about going back to shams's piece is not surprisingly, Miami is expected to pursue Giannis in, in 2021. Re- remember, Pat Riley's been pretty open. I mean, I, I remember, uh, like, I've alluded to this so many times, like, in my offseason preview and everything else. It's like that they have this 2021 focus. You saw it in Iguodala's extension, having no guaranteed money for the 21-22 season. And the most likely other ripple effect from that is with Bam out of bio. So Bam has a, he will be extension eligible this offseason, but has a $15 million cap hold for 21. And just like Kawhi Leonard and Andre Drummond way back when, keeping that cap hold on instead of replacing it with a higher number and extension, that's how the Heat maximize their cap space. So he might be the next Kawhi. And that means that Bam might have to play another year without the security of a long-term contract, but he has no leverage in the situation. Yeah, with Bam's cap hold on the books, fifteen million for twenty twenty one, they project to have about forty two million in space, which w- would be enough uh, for Giannis. Uh, but if they give him a max extension to start, then you're looking at uh, lop another fifteen million or so off of that, probably depending on where the cap comes in, and then you're getting into where you probably don't have enough for Giannis, and they don't really have anywhere else that they can cut salary from either. I mean, their team is basically uh, going to be Jimmy Butler making thirty six million and 
Also, you've got Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn becoming restricted free agents that offseason. So you'll probably be able to bring them back for a relatively a, a relative pittance. But, th- you know, that'll lop off another $4 million or so, uh, and maybe even more than that for their capitals if they make the starter criteria. So I really see absolutely no way that he gets extended. And Sean's saying that the discussion is either you give us a max or we're not going to do it. And I just don't think that Miami is going to want to do that and... You know, we'll see whether there's some hurt feelings there or not, you know, as there were apparently with Kawhi Leonard when they the Spurs did a similar thing so they could bring in LaMarcus Aldridge. But uh, Bam doesn't really have like any kind of an injury history. He's going to be really good. I'm sure he'll end up getting a very nice contract in the summer of 2021. What else we got uh, on the Miami front with their free agents? Bam's teammate, Derek Jones Jr., is a he's a young unrestricted free agent and Shams reporting that Cleveland, Charlotte, and Atlanta, among others, are expected to express interest. And that's something that I've run into and we'll talk about this a fair amount when we're doing these offseason previews for the podcast is he fits a lot of places, especially having unusually young free agents and this applies to both Derek Derek Jones Jr. and Christian Wood for these younger teams like the Clevelands and the Atlantas of the world having an unrestricted guy that is largely in line with your young players is really nice because a lot of players who hit unrestricted free agency they're 26 28 and then their you know their best years are when your team isn't ready yeah usually the only time a 23 or 24 year old is an unrestricted free agent is because he sucks <laughs> Yeah, or like they got they got an option decline that sort of situation, which is you know six and one, half dozen the other. Yeah, another thing from Sean's piece is the Mavs are willing to take on large salaries from a team to acquire a star player. Now they don't have that much flotsam salary. I mean they've got Seth Curry and they've got Dwight Powell and they've got Delon Wright and Tim Hardaway Jr. If he opts in, so maybe that's enough if you move on from all those guys to pick up not only a star but also a really bad salary but nothing really came to mind for me of like who that would actually be as of now so yeah, it, I, I, it, the, the most interesting part of that to me is like i you and i have both had the idea that the best the best path for them to get a really good player was through free agency in 2021 and being open to other ones is is notable but i don't know i like you i don't know who that would be yeah i mean maybe it's well <laughs> i mean bradley beal and john wall like n- nobody has enough matching salary for for all that you would think so golden state is rumored to have interest in dwight howard this is something that anthony slater talked about in the last month or so that he would be a pretty good fit as a potential starting but not finishing center for golden state uh and then slater also noted that with concerning the warriors tax concerns and without knowing when chase center is going to reopen to fans that sources insist that the usage of that equidala trade exception 17.2 million would have to be a special opportunity opportunity you know so is that taking on rudy gay for nothing you know that kind of a deal probably not you know it would have to be now do they would they count say you know a josh richardson type you know a quality starter would that be considered a special opportunity i mean there aren't many special players that you can get for less than 17 million who aren't on rookie contracts so uh maybe there just isn't (laughs) at this at this point um there's a little more news here on the pelicans coaching search yeah it was reported that they have four finalists for the job though one of those was Ty Lue, who now has another job. So Stan Van Gundy, we know, and I think the other two finalists, we do not yet know at the moment. Yeah, Van Gundy apparently spent some time interviewing with the Pels. You would imagine that if D'Antoni were a candidate there, that that would have gotten out in some respect. And uh, 
Jason Kidd will not be a part of the Pelicans process at the moment, according to Shams. And let's take a quick break here, and then we'll get into the LA Lakers offseason. All right, let's begin here, as we so often do, just looking at what the Lakers financial situation appears to be for next season the newly crowned champions will not have cap space to work with in the 2020 offseason unless anthony davis both opts out and leaves he will do the first part of that but not the second part and there's additional reporting on that actually from that uh, aforementioned shams Trani piece that davis will return but they haven't decided on a contract length and that's actually something i've written about at length i, I did a piece for the athletic during the hiatus about about whether davis would sign a one plus one or a two plus one or or something something even longer than that and it's possible if not probable that that changed during COVID we can get to that later but the short the short point of this is that the Lakers want to have cap space to work with whether they are above or below the tax line will depend on their other retentions and there are a lot of conversations that we will have on who those players are and what their potential prices could be yeah so as we're trying to look at what their financial situation is they have these myriad player options and the reporting has been that Contavious Caldwell Pope intends to opt out of his $8.4 million. I think that's a reasonable decision. You, know, you should be at least have offers around the mid-level, you would think. Uh, they also then, Rajon Rondo had a player option for the minimum. Again, no-brainer to opt out of that. If you're him, the way he played in the playoffs, I imagine he'll get something above the minimum and or i mean at worst he could just get another one plus one right like <laughs> at, at the minimum you would think uh queen cook has a non-guarantee for three million dollars that guarantee date is what used to be june 29th so the day before free agency opens i would imagine that they will decline that he was not a part of their rotation in the slightest um you know, yeah, even when they went even, heavier on guards he still wasn't there yeah he's you know he couldn't get into the rotation playing next you know when their options were jr smith and Dion waiters uh, above him and so you imagine they'll move on from him and then the two that i would expect to opt in in terms of those player options are avery bradley and javel mcgee which if they opt in that could give them some ammo from a trade perspective which of course is something that we are going to hit on so now let's say all of those things happen caldwell pope and rondo opt out move on from cook bradley and mcgee opt in and you've got to work with here 18 million dollars below the tax and 24 million dollars below the apron if say you wanted to do a sign and trade that's probably where there that would come in uh, and of course using the full mid-level but if you want to bring back kcp and rondo you know if you spend 15 million say on those two guys combined then you probably don't have enough room to use the full mid-level which is uh, in the nine million dollar range and still have enough room to work with under the apron without additional moves which could be maybe you move on from mcgee or bradley to open up some more space in some fashion either trading them or even <laughs> stretching them or something but uh i i wouldn't anticipate that that's going to happen they also have dwight howard as a free agent but they don't have any kind of bird rights on him they could maybe uh bust into their mid-level but if it if howard say has an offer to start with the warriors you imagine that he would want to move on unless they offered him a starting position and as much money as the team like the warriors so that's uh, where we kind of end up in terms of their overall financial situation uh they also have their draft pick the 28th pick in the draft this year which they cannot trade now but they can trade 
essentially at the draft once it is made once it is in the past the stepian rule no longer applies of course they have they're basically encumbered through 2026 in terms of their draft picks they can also trade 2027 is that what you're gonna say well and what i was gonna say is the 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 helpful way to think about that is of course they can agree to a trade where the acquiring team chooses the player they want and then the pick the, the deal is consummated after that formally so that you see this all the time where like a team can't actually trade the pick at the moment they make it but we already know that it's going somewhere else and it wouldn't be a huge surprise to see the Lakers do that though having another potentially like low cost rotation player in a couple of years would be a nice thing for the Lakers and having restricted free agent rights at after at the end of that like I think sometimes good teams give up first round picks a little bit too aggressively but it just depends on who's available so uh, what aspect of this should we talk about next we just talk about the uh well i think let's, let's, let's go to yeah. ad and i so with anthony, oh yeah okay. with, with anthony davis the question does not appear to be will he come back the question is what kind of contract is he going to sign and in the the preliminary look at it pre-covid and everything else I, my my thought was that davis would sign a two plus one which means two fully guaranteed years plus a third year player option and the reason why it seemed likely that Davis would do that is because just like Kawhi Leonard a year ago, that lines him up for the potential 35% max. You know, you need 10 years of experience to get that unless you can be a designated veteran, which by virtue of the trade to the Lakers, Davis was, we knew he was going to be ineligible. Again, paralleling Kawhi Leonard. And so I think that what, that was the original kind of concept. However, if the cap ends up being less than expected, and because Davis had such a wonderful year that I think he could reasonably expect, a la Kevin Durant last last offseason, that a significant offer could be on the table even if he gets really hurt, that maybe he signs a one plus one. And the reason Davis would do that is that theoretically, if the cap is artificially low in 2020 slash 21, that he can get out of it. Also, it's more team control or per, sorry, player control. Also, it technically lines up his free agency with LeBron James, who has a player option for 21-22. So either of those is completely plausible. I would not expect Davis to sign for a three plus one or a four plus one, both of which are allowed because the Lakers have full bird rights thanks to trading for him. I don't expect those to happen, but they are theoretically possible. And Davis has earned the ability to choose his contract. You know, he can do whatever he wants. And so I think it's a one or a two plus one. Yeah, I, I think my guess would probably be a one plus one, but of course it depends. I mean, it, part of the discussion about the negotiations around the cap has been that when they figure out this escrow system, then they also hopefully are going to maybe just artificially set the cap in 2021 and maybe even 2022 as well, knowing that there are mechanisms in place to smooth out the revenue and just to give teams a little bit more certainty during those periods. And so maybe that will enable AD to have a better idea of what he wants to do. But if if there's, you would think if there's any kind of a jump at all baked into 2021, then your one plus one probably makes more sense there. Um, but you know, I mean, he's he can get 8% raises so yeah i mean i guess that's uh yeah he can get eight percent raises so maybe if you know what the cap is going to be set at and it's less than an eight percent increase in the cap then maybe it would make more sense to just hold on with, with what he has here so uh caldwell pope i would say one of the better free agents on the market it's still a 
a solid shooting guard who uh, is capable on both ends you know not strong enough to guard the best opposing wing players but as a, a guy chasing around shooters as an on-ball guy against a pick and roll point guard if the, the team wants to play conventional pick and roll defense capable shooter and can at least do some things off the dribble and in transition you know, not a player who has a ton of weaknesses I, I think he'll be in demand I don't know if he would have any offers above the mid-level you know maybe that's Atlanta where he's from Georgia but you know I kind of see his market in the 10 to 12 million per year and maybe it would be more in a normal year but this year I think probably as long as the Lakers offer him something above the mid-level and for more than one year that he would that's probably about what it would take to bring him back that's just my feeling on it yeah and while Caldwell Pope has some specific leverage like internal leverage on the Lakers because they can't really replace him they're going to be over the cap whether Caldwell Pope comes back or not and the Lakers have the capacity to pay him because they have full bird rights it also like you have to have another offer on the table they're not just going to give him 20 million a year out of the goodness of their hearts that creates other challenges and even though the Lakers will make an, a, a ton of money not and we don't even know what fans are going to be like in California or anything like that but the the championship effects can be can be significant there so I, I think they'll come to a deal there's plenty of middle ground but not only the salary per year but the duration and any potential protection for team or player on the later part of that will be worth watching you know like maybe it's a longer term deal but it's only partially guaranteed in later years and then can fast or something like that so what what kind of like i mean when you think back to the kind of the rob palenka so far like when he's had the wheel there have been a lot of circumstances where i think that he has given away more than he had to like basically and i mean the davis trade they basically everything that was that was not nailed down other than kyle kuzma was in that deal giving basically all of the free agents player options which actually gave them a lot of control last season to have to have that there um and you know theoretical downside risk though things worked out beautifully for the lakers so we'll see if if that holds again with caldwell pope who you know unlike davis who's constrained by the max contract rules there aren't the same things in place for kcp so i think we'll learn about how good a negotiator rob palenka actually is yeah and of the teams that have space above the mid-level i only really see atlanta as one that could be a possible destination for him and i actually don't don't think he'd be a terrible fit right like i, I think Caldwell pope would, would help the hornets but i just don't think they're going there well yeah it just I, it, he would help them but there'd be no point to him helping them it's kind of right i mean I don't don't write off the possibility for, though considering Cupchak and mj like i think it's a possibility that they do someone but it might not yeah. be kcp in particular yeah i mean i think they just they need someone who can with a little more scoring punch i mean that their offense is so bad right now that's that's one of the biggest things i think charlotte needs but hey if you want to hear more about them just go uh subscribe to dunk on prime and then you can yeah that's tw- our, our 20 minute our sh- discussion on Devonte craves extension um well let's i want to so, go i'm gonna go to yeah. rondo because so the i yeah. think one of the dynamics with the lakers is the differing bird rights on all these guys and so because because remember that's all about how many years you spent with the team rondo you know it, was, it wasn't necessarily looking great this entire year but the lakers have early bird rights on him and so early bird rights should be more than enough for rondo without having to use another exception but again it's you know how much leverage does he have can rondo get get other offers on the table i think the lakers spot in terms of role is a pretty sweet deal for rondo if he ends up with something similar you know probably comes off the bench plays a reasonable minute but can close games when things are going well can play with lebron james on a 
no questions asked championship contender. So I expect that he'll be back. But if another team goes like for whatever reason with a longer offer and Rondo shining brightest right at the end could lead to another team making a mistake. Yeah. Now that early bird that they can offer would start right around 9.6 million. The one complication there is that to use early bird rights, which they would because he made the minimum last year, but he was on the team two years in a row. So that's how you get the early bird rights as a way to give him a raise without having to bust into one of your other exceptions like the mid-level. The problem there is it has to be at least a two-year deal. Now that could be worked out with a non-guarantee in the second year. Potentially there's no requirement that it all be guaranteed for that, but that's just one thing to consider. If they're going to use the early bird rights, it has to be a two-year deal in some form or fashion. And so let's say KCP comes back for $11 million and Rondo is six or, or seven. You know, so, so now that basically basically eats up most of their room under the tax they probably can't use the full mid-level at that point and they also would be hard pressed to acquire a player in a sign and trade if that player were making more than what they sent out they'd be kind of limited in terms of their wiggle room but i think the trade market is where i'd like to go to next and so here's what they have available for a trade it's pretty simple they got kuzma fourth year of his deal is his rookie scale deal he makes 3.6 danny green makes 15.4 next year you can also throw in avery bradley and Joel mcgee if they opt in so you can get up to right about and, and maybe if you needed to you could throw in alex crusoe he's a good cheap contract wouldn't necessarily want to do that so you get up to around 30 million dollars in salary to match and then in terms of the actual assets you know danny green could help a team but generally anybody that you're trading with isn't going to need like a veteran maybe they could move him on to a third team uh but really what you're looking at is kuzma the number 28 pick this year and then they have their 2027 pick will be available <laughs> to trade should they want to do so but in this market if you want to take on some salary whether that's with a guy who is already under contract or with a, a potential sign and trade, I think like one guy throughout there was Danilo Gallinari in a sign and trade, for example, with OKC, where I think you know that that would be something that OKC would be very interested in doing. I would imagine. Um, and, and the good news for the Lakers is Green, Bradley, McGee; those are all expiring contracts. So you're not foisting just like a terrible contract onto the other team. I think that could be a package that could get them another starter at least, and maybe just one more guy with some offense punch who would be available right and maybe the highest profile player but he's a little bit more expensive than that that kind of the, to get the the trade matching that you need is actually Dylan Gallinari's thunder teammate Chris Paul obviously has a relationship with with LeBron Paul makes 41.4 41.4 next season so then you'd have to add even more I believe with Caruso the math the math on that would work out and I mean from from OKC's perspective it would kind of depend on what else is on the table but to be able to save money because those all those players combined make less than Paul and also theoretically they could reroute the pieces that don't really make much sense if the Thunder are rebuilding I think that actually is a is an intriguing package, even if you and I aren't as high on Kyle Kuzma as other people are. Yeah, I'm not sure that there's a better out there, a better offer out there for Chris Paul than that. Now, that wouldn't be too bad, right? You'd have Caldwell Pope at the two, LeBron at the three, AD at the four, and then a center. And you know, I'm sure they could still have the mini mid level available to use. That team would get very expensive very quickly, of course. But 
presumably the Lakers can afford that since they have been banking a ton of money basically over the last five or six years when they've been a cap space team every year so they're not that expensive and you know not getting playoff revenue but still getting a ton of, of TV revenue every year um so Paul Gallinari I mean I guess we could just say hey what does this team need and they still definitely could use another ball handler or second unit scorer to be sure Kuzma has not worked out in that role so that that to me i mean their defense is good uh maybe they could have like you know one more guy who can three and d it on the wing a little bit but guard a little big bit of bigger players you know they still i don't think match up amazingly well against Kawhi. you know neither lebron nor ad did an amazing job of guarding him in the regular season matchups this year when Kawhi is really running well but that's not a huge need i would say you really need more on offense um and just a, a or another like awesome knockdown shooter what about uh like jj reddick i think could be an intriguing option for them as well and you could get him with just bradley and mcgee you wouldn't even have to give up danny green yeah and that would be and, and what i like about reddick there is that the lakers have without having to give up as many options if reddick you know let's say he's not playable defensively at that moment in time okay that's fine you can go in another direction so yeah i i, I think reddick's a, a worthwhile consideration and the benefit of having LeBron James and Anthony Davis as the cornerstones of your team is that they can go in a lot of oh they can go for more limited players though as you and I you've articulated this very well you you generally if we're thinking about a 16 game player which is what is most relevant to the Los Angeles Lakers those weaknesses become more important yeah, that's an interesting point about Reddick and his weaknesses. Although with Anthony Davis behind him, there's certainly a hope that you can get away with playing JJ Reddick as they did it back in 2019 with Philly when they had all that other defensive talent. And Reddick wouldn't even necessarily have to close games, but in shooting and playmaking are are the two biggest weaknesses for this Lakers team. Do you think they would have? if they throw in the kitchen sink in terms of ammo enough to get drew holiday or if he gets on the market is they're just going to get outbid for him i think they would get outbid for holiday but the way the way that it could happen would be if holiday presumably through intermediaries made it clear that he wouldn't commit to re-signing anywhere but with the lakers and remember he is a los angeles product originally went to campbell hall high school and so i I, that i mean that would be an awesome situation for drew considering he could you know be on a championship contender so i wouldn't expect expect it but it is a possibility i think okay sorry new orleans might even just want to keep him at that at that kind of a return yeah i mean two first round picks and kyle kuzma for a guy who's not an all-star going into the last year of his contract that's not terrible it's not terrible Uh, i mean i don't know how much kuzma helps them necessarily uh and (laughs) i mean it would be hilarious to for the lakers to trade for another new orleans star in the last year of his contract right the year after ad but i mean that would be a sick team i mean drew holiday to me would be exactly what they need i think that he would you know enough pick and roll ability to just give you a guy who can run the second unit he's not that that amazing but he can hit open shots uh, as well he's tough he can switch defensively i mean that would be that would be nasty if they could get him and yeah, I mean, that that might be what it is of just him making it known that he would like to go there and would like to re-sign in L.A. instead. 
Um, but one of the big constraints though that they have here is my prediction has been that the best players are going to become available around the trade deadline not this offseason because there's just too much uncertainty for teams and the problem there though is the number 28 pick gets driven off the the lot and whoever the Lakers take isn't necessarily whoever a trading partner might want it's worth much more if the trading partner can just essentially make that pick they also have Taylor Horton Tucker who I would value about the same as like a high second round pick this year I think he's shown some some promise um and he's extremely young as well but uh, any other trade cans that really come to mind for you no one that that really pushes the needle that much i would be interested potentially in somebody like tomas sadaransky as a kind of combo guard and and remember the bulls have changed front offices since sadaransky signed that contract so maybe karnishevis is just like meh don't really need him especially with kobe white looking like he's going to take over as lead guard so you know that's a lower end deal but when you but when you think about you know the lakers kind of having a lot of low-end salary to to make something work i could see something like that happening yeah victor oladipo of course uh, has been thrown out there uh, for the lakers as well another guy i think would make some sense for them i wish he's a little bit bigger for them and no i don't expect him to continue to play at an all-star level but that one at least they could they wouldn't have to include as much i don't think he has as much value as holiday does for example and i think if i if i were the pacers and i could get that package that we're talking about from the lakers uh and danny green actually could help them that'd be one of the few cases where uh they'd be trading with a, a team that could actually get some use out of danny green if he were the guy i don't think they can quite get enough salary if they don't include green um and green is a valuable player for them too although i think they could hopefully find a semi-capable replacement for him in free agency with the the mini mid-level if they decide to go that route. So if Old Depot is out there, here's another one for you, Danny. I know what you're going to think of it, but in terms of whether it would actually happen, DeMar DeRozan, San Antonio. Yeah, I mean the you know the Lakers. You could say that one of their best positions with this would be guys who who failed the NA test, who are negative value contracts, and for the, because that makes it more likely that a deal can actually happen. And DeRozan. 27.7 million dollar player option for next year how interested would you be in his Spurs teammate LaMarcus Aldridge not very because I just wouldn't want to put that much in, into a center to play next to Davis I think with DeRozan you you really at that point would be saying Anthony Davis is going to be our center there's just I mean I think even the Lakers wouldn't be foolish enough to say all right we're going to put LeBron and DeRozan and a center all on the floor and basically have like one good three-point shooter or Anthony Davis who's having to be out at the perimeter but I think if you had but like, I, LeBron, I just don't see DeRozan's point on this team because the best thing that he does is cre- like basically self-create offense at a, at a kind of like raise your floor and the Lakers don't need that I mean they need it when LeBron sits but DeRozan makes a crap ton of money to do that and he can't defend any position so I don't I, I to me I could see it happening because especially like he has LA connections he has a has star power but oof, I would hate it yeah, I mean, he certainly wouldn't be my my first choice in the slightest. I've I don't think this will happen now with what ended up happening in Miami, but Goran Dragic could potentially be a target for them with the full mid level. I think he would have more of a point than you know if they can use the full mid level. That is, uh, he would have more of a point to me than someone like DeRozan would because he's a little bit better of a shooter and he doesn't have to play as many minutes. Isn't even necessarily closing games for you, although he certainly would if he played as well as he did in this year's playoffs. 
you know, other trade candidates, you'd, you'd think they'll be competing a little bit with the Warriors and that $17 million trade exception. The Warriors obviously have much better assets than the Lakers, but they might not necessarily want to throw those in oh, to the mix. Oh, I have one. I don't, you know, the biggest criticism of Eric Gordon is that his contract is too long, and if the Lakers don't care as much about that as other teams do, not a terrible fit. Yeah, and that seems like more of a trade deadline one, yeah, potentially. But you could well imagine the Rockets, Rockets being like, all over that. Yeah, yeah, the, that, particularly if they're just like, there's no reason to have our team be this expensive anymore. We're not competing. How about just uh, options for either the full mid-level or the taxpayer mid-level i mean that's probably more likely than not that's they end up just going in that direction it looks to me like rondo if he comes back will have the kind of the the extra playmaker role handled i mean Caruso can do some of that but i like him more as an off-ball guy actually playing with lebron i could see the lakers trying to get one of the dj augustine jeff teague kind of guys as a you know basically overqualified backups that would be you know for part of the middle level but if yeah, Ron- I, I, w- I would say that might be augustine teague uh T- teague may not be overqualified it's back also also possible on the wing there are a lot of guys that i actually think would be worthwhile for the lakers at the mid-level glenn robinson the third justin holiday west matthews like if, if people aren't giving west matthews more than the minimum then especially in some ways the lakers who i think could really use him they should get their heads examined um matthews you know he might not have the same clarity of role on the lakers that he would on the bucks but i think he would fit beautifully and um, holiday like his brother has LA connections and would be you know just a nice piece to have in the rotation I wouldn't be convinced that Justin Holiday would would start or close games for the Lakers but either is possible Glenn Robinson the third um I wish, you know, the forward size guys had a little bit more range. One of the funniest is Jermichael Green isn't a terrible fit there, but would he jump from the Clippers to the Lakers, considering I think his role is clearer on the Clippers if Ty Lue gives him some indication? But Jermichael Green, like, he he kind of bridges the gap where AD is a center, but he's not all the way a center, and could be a nice piece for the Lakers to have in the rotation. Yeah, they also have Markeith Morris, who they might want to bring back. I mean, he was... He was uh in their rotation so maybe they would try to break into an exception well, yeah, for him well yeah exactly and briefly one of the other possibilities for the lakers is that they have non-bird rights only on not only markeith but dwight howard and so if the asking price gets above the minimum i think the lakers would just say hey we can we'll give you the minimum and we're the lakers if you want to take it you take it but they could dip into the middle level to retain their own guys if necessary yeah always can use some more wing guys as well you know you're justin holiday kent baysmore langston galloway group uh garrett temple if he got his team option decline ellington with the nets yeah ellington is just a shooter i mean i don't think he can really play in the playoffs but um alec burks could be someone i think would be useful for them as just another pick and roll threat off the bench just give him a little bit more juice there so they do have a lot of options here i mean I, i I think Hollinger and I talked extensively about them repeating, and I think they have a lot of ways that they can go into because they had to use cap space obviously last year. They have a lot of ways that they can go into next year with a better roster on paper than this one. And yeah, LeBron might be a little older, but AD could be better, and you know they may go into next year as the championship favorites again. The other one we should acknowledge because of his connection with the franchise is Demarcus Cousins, and Cousins, you know, still spent a lot of last year recovering from injury with the Lakers. They fully intended for him to be a part of the 1920 team yeah. and that could 
could be a possibility as well. They could, that could, I mean, we, we, yeah. we have, maybe you know, they let Howard go and it's uh, DeMarcus and JaVale are your centers. Absolutely possible. I could also see the Lakers theoretically, you know, depending on how pressed, you know, Jeannie Buss wants to be for, for money, like JaVale opts in, but then they move him somewhere else and just get another minimum center that is just as good as JaVale McGee because there are going to be so many guys on the market. Like we could see Ner- like Nerlens Noel basically if for whatever reason, again, he's not making much more than the minimum. I would rather do that on the Lakers than almost any other team. Yeah, and JaVale played well for them. I think he earned his salary, but him being out of the rotation in the playoffs as he inevitably ends up being is always a concern anything else we need to hit on uh, with these guys you know well, we haven't gotten deep enough into to talk about their draft pick uh you know at 28 we probably won't get down that low in terms of the draft the only other thing that i think we should discuss briefly is that kuzma is extension eligible he has a 10.7 million dollar cap hold i think that an extension agreement won't, won't happen with the lakers partially because they're you know that transfers the risk from the team to from the player to the team well they, they can't trade him that's yeah. the number one reason not to do it yeah that that too and so i i don't expect that one will happen and i think you know it could be one of those negotiations talked about this a little bit in the magic offseason preview where it would take the player coming down to the team's level to make it potentially acceptable like if he but i don't think kuzma is going to be that risk averse i think he, you know i think i think he'll be confident that there will be some sort of market though it's not necessarily what he's hoping for after a successful rookie year so i, I i'm i'm interested in those negotiations um I don't know what's going to happen with like Jared Dudley and a couple of their other guys, but but I, I know I, I hope that Dudley has a spot in the league, whether or not it's on the Lakers will be largely, I think, up to him. Yeah, if I were him, I wouldn't want to go back and play under Frank Vogel, who thinks I am not good enough to play. I'd rather go somewhere and play, personally, yeah. if I were him. He could actually help the Clippers, I think, maybe. I mean, who knows? Who do, he, he's 34. He might just be done, and maybe maybe they saw something in him to indicate that. But he certainly was an effective player for the Nets the last time he actually got out there. All right, you ready to talk about uh, Denny Avdia? Yeah, absolutely. So Avdia, listing, listed measurements, the best ones that I could find. Six foot eight, two hundred twenty pounds, with a six foot nine wingspan and an eight foot six standing reach. And the season stats are somewhat difficult for him because Avdia, you know, the Maccabi Tel Aviv plays in some different leagues, but Real GM kind of does a good aggregation here. And so the best that I got from them, nine points, 4.7 rebounds and two assists in 22 minutes per game, 59 games, 26 starts. Um, and then the efficiency stats, and then we'll, we'll talk about some of the other ones later. 15.2 PER, these are the, the over those 59 games, 52, 15.2 PER, 58 true shooting on 19.7 usage and 14.8 assists percent yeah and there is a massive difference between how he played in the israeli league when he started 21 games uh, out of 33 and the israeli league has these weird rules where you have to play a certain number of israeli players uh which is part of why i'm sure he started more games and also because maccabi is always a huge titan in that but there's basically like three good teams in that league and then they're it's very limited uh, outside of that and in the euro league he only started five games out of 26 though he did have some moments uh, there as we'll get to also noteworthy that his usage in the israeli league was 21 percent and in the EuroLeague was 16%. And the EuroLeague, they're playing against teams that are as good or better than they are Maccabi Tel Aviv is. So they felt just fine as a young guy to kind of give him a little bit more reign when he was playing in the Israeli League. So as you look at those stats, definitely they reflect at pretty much every level. 17 PER in the Israeli League, 10 PER, for example, in the EuroLeague. I'm going to focus more on his EuroLeague stats personally, um, but 
decent rebounder 18 percent defensive rebound five percent offensive rebound uh did not shoot it nearly as well that 52 percent true shooting in the euro league was not great particularly because his role was so small and not like a huge steal and block guy i thought it was also noteworthy that he essentially doubled his block percentage in the israeli league again you just see that 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 level of competition is much lower you mentioned the 6'9 wingspan i think that's something that i, I hadn't looked at that because i know you always look at it and eight six standing reach i mean that is very limited for a guy who is going to play potentially some power forward um you know he was able to do that a, a lot in europe and he is a, an athletic guy at least by european standards i'm not sure i think he'll be a reasonable athlete in the nba i wouldn't have him as like a major plus athlete in the nba would you agree with that yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah, so I don't, uh, that 6'9 wingspan is not amazing. You know, I don't really expect him to be, and, and we're starting with the defense here because I think that is the most important thing for guys his size in the NBA who don't project as big stars, which I don't think he does. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about why that is uh, soon. But you know, I, I expect him to be, I would say, just overall, and we'll get into the reasons why, like a competent NBA defender, but not a guy who's going to be either a stopper or a, a playmaker defensively. Would that be about where you would put it as well? Yeah, and I, I was actually impressed, more impressed with Avdia's defensive chops than, you know, like just he, he tries. And he had, he, you know, there were, there was a play. One of my favorites was it was in the game against, I believe it was in the game against Ephes where he, char- he changed players. He was guarding three times and then helped off the third guy to force a travel. But each time the, the play, the, the changeover was, was the right decision. And it seemed like it was within the flow of the defense. And then, you know, kind of shaded over to, to scare the guy into making a travel and, you know, had, had some good defensive rebounding positions, had a nice deflection for a steal that I really liked where he was kind of st- kept pace with this guy and just deflected the pass so yeah i liked the defensive film more than i anticipated but you are never going to bet on a guy who isn't an above average nba athlete who doesn't have like a hugely positive wingspan because he tries hard and seems like he knows what's going on like those players don't become plus defenders that often though he might not be a minus and that's that's pretty good yeah, and I would say as you looked at some of his film in isolation and you know going up against some of the best players in the EuroLeague even guarding down with uh, some smaller players. Uh I thought he did well. He did had gave up very few just blowbys and isolation situations. Uh conventional pick and roll defense wasn't amazing, you know, in terms of getting through screens, but he's a 6-8 19-year-old. You wouldn't expect that. I th- they still had him guard point guards a, a reasonable amount of the time and then uh he was part of a switching system as well well um he was a solid communicator i think he you know in the games that we watched you know, i thought he only had maybe two or three just like straight up errors which again is not bad for a 19 year old playing at a very high level in the euro and, and against grown men too like this isn't playing against yeah. his age peers and that's also somewhat true like even within his international experience like he was on israel's u20 team i believe in both 2018 and 2019 and did well in those so like when he played with his peers he was he was good there too yeah we'll talk more about that i think when we hit on his offense so i thought his fundamentals were pretty good he made again he wasn't making like unbelievable rotations but he was making rotations and i think uh particularly the last game that we watched was they actually upset Ephes at home uh, by two points right before the shutdown happened and i thought he was really good in that game he ended up playing the last 15 minutes of the game even despite only scoring four points so he was 
earning his time with his defense he guarded Shane Larkin on the last play of the game and forced a, a really difficult missed three that preserved a, a two-point lead on the on the last play of the game and was doing a good job of communicating and switching um when he does get beaten a little bit he still competes to stay in the play he can kind of catch up with his his foot speed is pretty good in a straight line he can catch up with that but he'll show his hands to avoid fouling when he's kind of on the side of the guy you know that's the big thing if you put your forearm on the guy as he's trying to drive by you now everyone will just throw a shot up and draw a foul so he does decent job of not fouling and yeah, so I, I thought you know, for a 19-year-old in terms of how he defended, like he was getting time because of his defense, and that's at a pretty high level. That's all you can ask for at that point, even if, as I mentioned, due to some of the physical limitations, I don't see him being a massive positive i don't see him gonna be the guy who's athletic enough has enough of a wing pan span who's strong enough to guard you know your top of the heap wings in the nba but i think he could be a, a solid enough defensive contributor yeah a cog within the machine and i don't think that avdia will be able to switch as well at the nba level i mean he, it was it was impressive they did it you know on, on shane larkin that by the way that game was the fs game was absolutely delightful in terms of players with connections to, to nba basketball i mean you had roddy bobois chris singleton tibor Pleiss, who was drafted by i believe the thunder back in the day and misich was been in the sixers of had his rights forever and then Maccabi Tel Aviv is a bunch of guys as well including Quincy AC um and so I, I I thought that he did a decent job there but if we're talking about Avdia as a potential starting caliber forward then if we're talking about him as a switch guy then you're you're thinking of top 15 ones and twos and I don't think he's gonna do a great job on them just like most forwards don't yeah he's got a little bit more of an upright style in his stance as well I mean he's not really like getting down deep and like cutting guys off but he's uh, again staying with them a little bit and competing to stay in the play if not just absolutely stoning uh, whoever he was guarding let's turn to his offense now unless you have anything more to say defensively well one quick thing to mention kind of between the two we never we never brought up Avdia's age he is 19 now his birthday is January 3rd so he will turn 20 before his NBA career begins formally but he uh but he will it will be his age 20 season yeah oh and the last thing i'll say too is they actually when he was they put him on uh Vasilya misich and not so much on larkin but he was guarding misich a large percentage of the time and he actually was like pressuring him up in the backcourt and misich is a little slow but still to just be able to do that at his size and to have the energy to do that i thought was at least somewhat encouraging even if i don't expect him to be pressuring guys up full court in the nba yeah necessarily uh let's talk about that offense a little bit and he profiles as that kind of versatile offensive forward and uh, tons of names come to mind you're Nick Batum who I might like as like maybe one of the better comparisons for him in, a, in an offensive standpoint at least a young Batum um you know Nemanja Bielista uh, uh, now his shooting is not anywhere close to the level of these guys that's what, one of the big concerns that you have about him you know or you can go down to kind of these lower lower level guys like a Zoran Planinic or, or something or you know, maybe yeah yeah i think he's yeah he's he's faster he's more athletic than charge i think he's more of a face the basket player than charge um but yeah there's a lot of guys that are kind of in this mold i would say that he's at the upper end of those sorts of players athletically that's kind of more why i put batum in there and i think his athleticism on offense a lot of it is just hard straight line drives with his right hand but if he does that he can get up for some pretty big dunks uh, i thought his finishing improved over the time period that we looked at him 
and even would be able to drive like to move he went right most of the time but he had a move where he would go right along the, the right baseline from the right wing and then finish with his left hand sometimes even he would come up with a quick dunk with his left hand from the right side of of the hoop uh, attacking along the right baseline that that looked pretty good so I, I think it, as a finisher he's not perfect and he misses a lot of like very easy layups which are kind of just cringeworthy at times but I think he can get to being a solid finisher with as, his athleticism and so I think you know one of the appeals is that ability to jump off of one foot and his straight line speed attacking hard to his right hand yeah I'm not as concerned about how Avdia finishes plays and as as much as how he has he starts them at the NBA level now I think he could you know like won't be as successful in in those respects I mean he will get better physically you know you would expect just with a little bit of time but like one of the big notes that I had is like does he have the athleticism to get by NBA wings you know like if the if if the idea is to have Avdia create attacking and creating not in transition because I think when he has an advantage Avdia does well but how often will he have that and I'm I don't see you know like I think that the intent is there I think that his basketball IQ like understanding where his teammates are and all all that stuff like he can keep the ball moving but the idea of creating an advantage i think is something that will be a very a very real challenge for him yeah and i'm not sure if he's gonna be you know a pick and roll maestro you know joe ingles is another guy who kind of comes to mind as the mold that he's in i think he shows some pretty decent rudimentary passing skills out of pick and roll going to his right hand finding the the big uh passing over the defense at, at times um, I agree with you. It's not going to be just like line the pins up, let him go pick and roll. I think it's more swing it to the weak side. Maybe he's coming out of the corner, turning the corner to his right hand off a wide pin down and getting into the lane and then either throwing the pass or being able to finish going hard to that right hand. You know, I think that's kind of more how I see him. I think he could be someone who can push it in transition, particularly as he continues to improve his handle. And his rebounding numbers were solid enough in the EuroLeague. I think he can be somewhat of a contributor there. Um, You know, his handle is not incredibly well developed at the EuroLeague level. He basically was only dribbling with his right hand. Uh, at the U- U20 level, when he just had the ball all the time and had to go left every once in a while, like he could do it a little bit more. Almost never finished with his left hand, um, other than those plays on the right side that I talked about. But it, when he actually went left, which was rare, he wouldn't necessarily finish with the left hand. Um, so you kind of wonder of like what his role is going to be. And I think as an as a secondary ball handler, I think he could have a future. I think he can make some effective plays a, as a passer and driver. But if he's not going to have the ball all the time, then it's you wonder, well, how's his shooting going to be? And that's where uh, the greatest concerns lie for him, I would say, as a prospect and the greatest uncertainties. Absolutely. So mechanically, I don't think Avdia's shot is that bad. It, you know, it's it doesn't it doesn't look like a perfect stroke, but I don't, I'm not sitting there just horrified by by when he shoots. But we also yeah. You know, well, can I, can I elaborate on what that looks like? Sure. Um. So he really kind of the first when you first watch it, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't that bad. But then you know, it's I, he really kind of shoots it out more than up. I would say. Yeah, I would say. It's and gonna he kind of blocked. Yeah, he kind of like sticks his butt out as he shoots in a weird way so he's not really like under the ball as much again he's kind of just more like pushing it out from his face and instead of up and you know i don't think his release point is particularly low and then he also oftentimes like doesn't have his feet set he all he kind of you know does the like marco bellinelli just like landing with his legs like spread way apart for no reason even when he's just wide open and 
know, but he's not the type of shooter that Marco Bellinelli is. Yeah, so, well, that's that's a good uh, that that's a good odd. note with with Optia is that I think he's more consistent with his upper body than his lower body. And there's a note that uh, Gavoni and Schmitz have in their breakdown that apparently his mechanics have been tweaked a bunch, and so you rarely see him shooting the same way. So that's actually a part of it that maybe more consistency in the lower half could really help him. Yeah, and I think I'd be very interested to see his workouts. But you know, as I watched him, I mean, it's a 22 foot line, and he certainly is willing to take them. That was that's no problem i wouldn't have been as concerned until you look at his free throw shooting oh yeah and so while it is true like sometimes you use free throw shooting because the guy hasn't shot done threes and avdia actually shot more shot more threes than free throws in both of his you know in 1819 and in 1920 but the free throw shooting is a very real concern so i'll, I'll do both numbers for so for 1819 avdia 28 from three 51 from the line and then this most recent season 33% from three, 59% from the line. And these are big samples when you think about all the games he played. He played, you know, about 50, 50 to 60 games in both of those seasons. Yeah, he played uh, 1,200 minutes last year and 600 the year before. But yeah, like those are really bad free throw numbers. Let me see if it's any better at the international level. Not really. I mean, it's all 60%, 50%. So, uh, and that's going back years now. So that's that's a major concern. You really, and he's basically like no tournament even that he was in was he over 70%. And so just guys who shoot below 70% from the foul line just generally are not three-point shooters like it's, it's you know at least quality three-point shooters do so i think that he's gonna just be like all right forget him completely leave him open in the regular season he's gonna be that bad no i don't think so i mean i think he looks comfortable enough shooting it that he'll make some but you know is he gonna get above making one out of every three of them tough to say and uh, that free throw shooting is a, a real real concern uh, to be sure and you know if he were just shooting 72 percent from the line and he was like this you'd be like yeah you know that's, that's totally fine for uh a wing prospect uh, as age 19 season you know he'll probably just continue to evolve but you really and maybe there's something mental just about the free throws but the history of guys who don't hit from the line and particularly guys who are under 60 percent as shooters is extremely poor i mean some guys have gotten there like for example bruce bowen although he made it so infrequently to the line that you know it's really hard to say you, you know you put more trust in his three-point shooting than his free throw shooting but yeah that that's uh that's the one thing that really makes me think like oh man like this this he could potentially be a guy who would be on the fringes of a rotation if his shooting just doesn't come around more okay so let's do a little bit of the uh the thought exercise that i brought up during obi toppins a little bit ago which is the star starter bust concept so i think avdia has a pretty low star potential because he's not he's not like an elite athlete and it's just hard you know i think it would take a lot for him despite you know having some some real success in his past to to get to that level i don't think that's damning in any way shape or form but just want to make sure you agree before we move on to starter yeah it's really hard for me to see it because it am there are a lot of players who are versatile like him, but I just don't see that primary creator upside, nor do I see that like defensive star upside in either respect. I mean, he's just, he's not, there's no one area, I would say. I think he can do a lot of things, but there's no one area where you're like, man, this is just an awesome skill that he has. I mean, would you agree with that? I that would. there's nothing that just pops out where you're like, this is so good. And you're probably going to need a couple of those to, to really make it as a star in the NBA. Yeah, so, and when you talk about a starter, this is something that we've had a, a number of times of, what is his role going to be? Well, 
all right, if he's going to have, you know, your hope is he becomes a secondary creator. And could you see him being a number two option? No, I think he's more of a three or four. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of guys. Sharich is an example of this where, you know, Bielitsa is an example of this. Although I still maintain that he should have gotten more on-ball chances than he has. And those guys are good shooters. They're definitely solid rotation players. But guys who have these ball handling skills but they're not and joe ingles is someone where in utah's system they've been able to take advantage of that right but a lot of these systems they don't and when that's the case at some point if you're not good enough on ball yeah you might be able to attack a closeout or something but if the coach isn't going to put the ball in your hands then it becomes a lot more difficult to play you when you don't have a solid shooting or you're not really like a, a huge plus defensively and so yeah you can throw this guy out there and maybe he won't kill you but you're talking about a backup maybe like a fringe starter um in his situation so i, I mean I, like there are some things i like about him i like his passing ability for his age and i, I think he can do some on ball stuff he can grab and go he's he can affect the game some with hustle and athleticism and cutting and you know i wouldn't put it past him even if he doesn't become a, a solid three-point shooter to just find ways to impact the game but it's just it's he doesn't slot into a role perfectly with what i would consider to be his median outcome and and what concerns me beyond that is when you think about what it would take for avdia to go beyond though that concept of him it's going to take significant development in at least one area that's going to be a lot better ball handling becoming a rock solid if not better than rock solid shooter you know maybe his athleticism gets better so he can be a higher end defensive player those aren't the types of developments that you expect to see in most and that's what gets into the median outcome problem here is that there are circumstances you know like that that he especially when you consider that avdia plays with good effort and that i think his his instincts are solid he the ball keeps moving with him that you know if any of those things happen yeah you got you really got something going there and and there is a possibility that happens he has had success in various various capacities over the course of his career especially when playing against opponents his own age and with teammates his own age like there there is that success including using mvp basketball without borders in 19 and then the 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 fiba stuff that we've already talked about before so you have that but the threshold there are only 30 nba teams and you think about what the what what it takes like for him to be a starter who isn't the probably going to be your best defensive forward or your number one or number two offensive option like those players exist but you have to be really damn good at a lot of other things yeah now what i will say is if his shot does work out to become an average or above weapon then i think you've got something i think you've got a solid offensive player like i think he has good not amazing feel but good feel and i think he's going to be able to make passes on the move he's shown some of the ability to do that i think you can trust him to make solid decisions he's got a few moves off the dribble i think he can improve those some uh, he's even got the ability to post up a little bit. In fact, against in that game against Ephesus, they ran a couple of plays for him to post up a, against a smaller guy. He threw one pass out for a three as they made a big comeback right at the end and uh, scored a couple other times in the post. Now, he, he doesn't have a varied post game. There isn't really a turnaround jumper aspect. He's going to go left shoulder every single time. You know, there was a hilarious post up that he had where he was on the right baseline and the guy was basically standing between him and the baseline oh, as he's trying to post up. And he still tried to go to his left <laughs> shoulder and it, and it just wasn't there. But um, 
You know, but I, I think you're not going to just throw the ball in the post to a guy like that and be like, okay, go create something. But against a mismatch or a quick duck in, something like that, or, you know, maybe in transition, he runs the floor pretty well. And so, so he could have these aspects of his game that I think maybe a way to put it is if you're going to just hide your worst defender on him, I think he has ways to take advantage of that. So I think he could be a solid offensive player. I'm, by no means am I saying like this guy is going to be a bust. I think there is some bust potential, but I think he's going to, my best guess of what it's going to be for him is kind of lower end starter or you know or rotation player but i think he absolutely could evolve into being you know a solid player along the lines of a joe ingles or an evan fournier or you know just your your normal and maybe more athletic versions even you know, he's at the high end as i mentioned of athleticism among those sorts of players nick batum where he can do some pick and roll stuff but he isn't the main pick and roll guy and he can hit some shots and uh, holds up reasonably well defensively and so yeah that's a, that's a valuable player to have if the shooting is okay if the shooting isn't there then you're looking at kind of more of a a, a backup type of guy so you, you're gambling that he's going to be an acceptable shooter otherwise it's just hard to find a place for him out there right and you could think about that even um avdia is a much better athlete than kyle anderson but and anderson's not really a high volume three guy but i mean that's part of what's been such a big problem with memphis is the three ball hasn't really yeah. fallen at all and so all of a sudden he's just not that valuable player yeah and i would say anderson is a far superior to defender i would to agree i expect uh, avdia to be all right well i think uh we can wrap up here Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to Dunked on Prime. There's a link to that in the show notes. And keep your eyes peeled for that special we're going to run around the mock-off season and the draft. A lot of that stuff is going to be subscription. So I uh, implore you and encourage you. Hey, you might as well just sign up for a month or two, see if you like it or not. Or you can always just cancel when if you only want to listen during the draft and free agency and stuff. That's uh, our favorite time of year. But thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next Sunday. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.